You're about to hear my conversation with Brent Joyce. We talk all about the market volatility at the beginning of 2022, what caused the market volatility, and how to think about it going forward. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm back with our investment strategist, Brent Joyce. Brent, welcome back. It's good to be here. Rocky start to 2022. We have lots to talk about, Matt. Absolutely. Uh, as we sit here on uh, the 25th of January, you, you've referenced it. Uh, we are off to a rocky start. Uh, we've seen a lot of volatility, uh, some pretty significant down days uh, this week, the previous week. Um, maybe I'll just start with a general question. What's what's driving the sell-off? Yeah, there is a list of concerns, I think, and we can talk about each of them or perhaps try to prioritize which ones I think are more important than others. Uh, one would include COVID and disruptions there. Um, more recently, I suppose, is uh, appears to be things heating up in geopolitical tensions, most notably the Ukraine and Russia. But more broadly, and this has been unfolding for a number of weeks, and even, even at the um, tail end of last year, is bond yields and right. the inflation story. Those are hand in hand. And then those in turn inform and lead to what I think is the, the biggest concern, uh, which is central bank policy trajectory. All, all these themes that we were talking about, you know, in our outlook um, a month and a half, uh, two months ago. Well, great. Let's uh, let's dive into those themes uh, individually. Uh, you seem to reference central bank tightening as the the most significant, uh, perhaps driving uh, this. You also referenced the the um, change in posturing, I'll say, from central banks starting uh, last year. Uh, with the uh, admission that inflation is indeed not transitory and, and that leading to a, a number of um, changes in outlook, call it. Uh, so what do you see uh, on central bank tightening? Uh, I guess, like, what was changed in the last couple of weeks or year to date that's that's leading to some of the sell-off? To my mind, there isn't a whole pile that's changed. It is unfolding largely as we anticipated that the data on inflation was going to get worse before it gets better, and we're seeing that. Mm -hmm. uh, what is maybe a little um, different at the margin or perhaps certainly a bit of a surprise or a wake-up call potentially for the equity market, maybe not even so much the bond market, but for the equity market, is the continued... Um, hawkish uh, tone and stance and language that's emanating from the Fed, whether it's when they're in front of politicians, which I, I think is, is um, you need to be mindful of the audience when they're there. But sure. globally, other central banks uh, continuing to talk uh, much more of a focus on inflation. The days of talking about um, employment equity and inflation um, targeting regimes and well, we're going to allow it to overshoot. You hear none of that anymore. Right. So it's it's the the um, the pace, I guess, the volume, the the cadence of the talk that's coming out of central bankers. They're really trying to drive market expectations um, to the same page. And the question now really is. Is that mission accomplished, or perhaps have they gone a little bit too far? Maybe. Interesting. I know that um, 
it appeared at least uh, central bankers would respond at least to market events. Uh, they certainly note market reactions, that type of thing. Do you think that this the beginning of this year will be concerning to to central bankers around the world, maybe Fed, Bank of Canada, uh, particularly? Whether or not it's concerning to them or not is um, a bit of a side question to the you know the question of if even if they were concerned, could they do anything about it in the near term, in the face of these high inflation prints, particularly the ones that that grab all the headline attention and, and politicians and media attention, the the seven percent plus number in the U.S. So. I you know we're getting at this question of the the Fed put or the Powell put it really goes all the way right. back to Greenspan, and it's sure. this notion that um, the Fed has a third uh, mandate: it's uh, price stability and full employment, and nudge nudge wink wink. It's we got the back of risk assets or certainly equity market, and would they come in and change or shift or pivot on uh, on a on a tantrum? Quite frankly, and I would describe. What we're witnessing here in the you know middle late uh, days here of uh, of January, this is tantrum worthy uh, mm. for sure. I guess um, so. Whether whether they pay attention to it or not, the market is more concerned about even if they did pay attention, um, would they be able to in the face of high inflation? When we had the this so called put come in and they walk back their language or they outright right. ease or change their viewpoint. You know, in the period between the financial crisis and um, and now, quite frankly, they had the luxury to be able to change their mind in an environment where inflation was not nipping at their heels and was not a problem. Sure. Right. That's not the case today, and this is part of the concern that markets have: is is the Fed and other central banks are they somewhat hemmed in? At a minimum, it's going to mean that the so-called Fed put right. You know, it's got a lower strike price. It right. certainly the safety net has has been um, lowered a, a few floors, and so markets I think would have to fall further before the Fed or any others would would take any action, and it would have to be, I think, more prolonged. So a couple of days isn't going to do it, and I think it would have to be a point where they're starting to say, okay, is this figuring into our calculus on a number of fronts, whether it is the wealth effect and uh, and consumption, or business confidence, and so there's right. a good linkage between equity markets being robust and and um, CEO you know CC confidence and so if that confidence starts to erode then you could ask legitimate fundamental questions around hiring intentions or spending intentions uh, if the level of uncertainty for businesses has gone up in an environment that still remains very very cloudy you know thanks to covid well, maybe we'll dive into that as the as the next uh, topic to talk about a little bit more. You mentioned COVID is a uh, contributing factor uh, to the volatility. Um, you know, we've certainly seen the Omicron wave uh, come through in a big way in North America and around the world, uh, based on uh, the South African experience and some of our European experiences. It seems like it that wave uh, comes off sharply. Uh, what are your expectations uh, for COVID in uh, in North America, and also um, what uh, what further implications may it have? Yeah, so it uh, I, I'm not going to use the word nuisance, but it, it's um, a spanner in the works, right? It's about labor inputs, it's about supply chains, it's about the inflation story, and so you're quite right. There is lots of um, 
encouraging science that uh, Omicron is uh, you know, rapidly spreads and then rapidly goes away, and, and certainly we all hope that that's the case. The scale of it, though, does put lots of people in hospitals. Sure. Um, but it, what's happening now is is the scale of it is in fact keeping people away from the labor force, not because of government um, decree, uh, stay-at-home orders or, or restrictions, but they're just outright sick. And either they feel crummy and so they don't go to work or they're doing the right thing. And and if they have concerns or or close contacts or what have you, you know, they're Mm -hmm. following now what is shortened quarantines, but still five days and you start to pile up millions and millions and millions of active cases. You can start to think about the labor market being impacted just by not layoffs, but absenteeism. So that's one part of it. It's timing of all of these things as, as um, not that there's ever a good time for a wave of COVID, obviously, but it <laughs> certainly is, is coming at the same time we're getting these big inflation prints, which are somewhat lagging, right? It's coming um, west to east this time. So from Europe and then you know, North America and heading toward Asia, most notably China. And again, timing here matters. We've clearly got the Olympics. And so that's... Um, a flashpoint for infections, you know, to, to leak into the country and to have them struggle or question or need to deal with their zero um, tolerance policy. Does that become broader, wider lockdowns um, because of that? And then also at the same time, more or less, is Chinese New Year, you know, a period of high travel and, and lots of uh, socializing, et cetera. So right. the concern that was, there's still transitory to steal the Fed's word that they don't want to use anymore. These are still supply chain disruptions we think that can be dealt with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're coming at a fragile period here where where we were having these yields rise. The inflation numbers are, are sort of hitting their peak um, uh, high numbers and, and ugly numbers through this month and, and then maybe a couple more months in Canada. It's at a point where markets are looking at earnings and the earnings have been on, you know, just on paper, they look okay, not great. The surprises are much smaller than they were last year. We expected that. That's um, reason, you know, for less joy, if you will. But it's been the conference calls and the fog and the uncertainty and um, the speed at which this is moving has the transcripts and the conversations on the conference calls replete with labor shortages. Maybe that's absenteeism. Maybe it's something else. Um, you know, higher input costs and concerns around mm-hmm. supply chain disruptions. With everybody sort of looking to the east and thinking, well, well, what happens if Omicron, even if it's for three weeks or five weeks, you know, uh, does what it uh, what it's done in other places, which is reasonable to to think that, and then we're going to have these snags. So you start to add some of these things up. A few percentage points sell off because we have to shift the timing of better days because of Omicron. A few points of of downward pressure because of rising bond yields. A few points Mm -hmm. of downward pressure because central banks continue to stand pretty firm and aren't backing down or maybe can't back down because of Mm -hmm. the inflation story. And all of a sudden you have, you know, every two and three, you add them up times three or four different concerns Sure. Um, and throw geopolitics on the top. And, and you know, you can you can be where we are today, down 8, 9, 10, 12%, uh, which is still in the, um, in my definitions and most people's garden variety, run-of-the-mill correction territory for equities. 
Great. Um, maybe we'll touch just on the geopolitics uh, before moving on. You, you referenced uh, Ukraine, Russia, uh, the tensions uh, building there. Um, what uh, impact do you think that that could have, I guess, on, on global markets or what are markets concerned about? Um, and, uh, and is it something to, to continue to watch? Well, you know, from a societal standpoint, it's uh, nerve-wracking, right? We certainly, sure. everybody hopes for a peaceful resolution to those tensions. Uh, markets are very familiar with geopolitical tensions. We've dealt with them pretty much um, without uh, exception for many, many decades. Um, you know, Crimea, just being one example in the recent past that, yeah, you have a, a sell-off on the shock and the nervousness and the concerns around it, and a bit of a, a flight to to um, safety, so to speak. Um, then markets eventually, you know, move on. There are a fundamental implication here as it relates to oil, and so again, right. we come back to inflation. So if you have sanctions um, or or disruption, right, then uh, then certainly that would um, augur for higher uh, than otherwise oil prices. I, you know, take a whole call and, or have Benoit on as well, uh, resources manager to talk about oil prices. But the fact that we're overly concerned as a society with oil that's in the $80 range here in 2022, when we've dealt with this level of oil prices for decades and certainly sure. above this for many, many years, and it didn't, um, didn't crush growth, you know, I think there's much to do about nothing. But if mm -hmm. it has upward pressure on oil prices, I'm comforted by the fact that we don't have a supply pinch. Um, certainly, uh, if, you, if you think about the ability to get it online, yeah, Russia, OPEC plus, okay, so maybe that's um, uh, disrupted a little bit. But there's millions of barrels in the ground that can come on pretty quickly here in North America. So we're not at peak production and a supply response will come at 90, 95, 100, 105. You know, you tell me your number and we can certainly pencil in more supply from uh, from North American shale producers. So I don't think that's the major concern. But again, we can talk about timing here, right? Having sure. a geopolitical flare up in the midst of all these other um, issues, many of which I would say are adjustments. Equity markets and different right. parts within the equity market need to go through this recalibration. Um, we've written about this for a number of, of weeks, if not months now. And that was unfolding reasonably orderly until uh, five, eight days ago, uh, as we got closer and closer to central bank meetings, which by the time folks listen to this podcast, we'd have more news on that. Um, and then, you know, the geopolitics just flares up at an inopportune time. Uh, and the start of earnings season, which, I, as I mentioned, has not been stellar. And that's been the real white knight for many, many quarters. We've right. had concerns, clearly. Sure. And time and time again, earnings have come in with these big surprises and come in to save the day. And there's time for earnings to uh, to improve from here. We are in the early days and we've had... Um, you know, the financials come out with not as stellar as people would like, but not bad. Um, and then through the end of this week and the next week, we'll start to see some of these uh, bellwether tech companies, uh, et cetera, report. But like I said, it's not the numbers. It's been the language from the conference calls that's got people nervous. Interesting. Um, maybe to to expand that notion a little bit, uh, what you you just referenced, the tech, uh, the tech giants, um, and certainly we've seen a very large rotation from sort of the growthy tech oriented stocks to more value stocks 
um, with the growth stocks really being hurt very hard um, in the in, uh, year-to-date numbers. Um, what, what do you make of that rotation? Uh, do you think that uh, it's it's overdone? Do you think it has uh, room to go, or, or what's the, the cause behind it? Yeah, so this is this is just fundamentals. When you have uh, higher bond yields and you're dealing with corporations whose cash flows or the dream of cash flows is further down the road, that's no different than thinking about a long bond with lots of your coupons that come further down the road. It's a it's a duration proxy, a duration story. Right. And so you you have a double whammy there. One, these have been very very popular, and popularity breeds high valuations. So they're starting from. Um, a, a difficult starting point, shall we say, from a valuation standpoint. Those valuations have been juiced by the falling yield environment of the past, you know, call it 10 years for more or less. Um, so they're, you know, they're great stories. Uh, some of them are very, very good franchises, but popularity and then boosted by the yields. Now that's flipped around. You now have a rising yield environment. So you have to reprice um, those discounted values of, of uh, those cash flows. And they're just more sensitive. People talk about, certainly in the U.S. context, the S&P 500, and and, uh, obviously the NASDAQ would be even more acute, and and I guess the poster child for the growth trade, that duration, quote unquote, um, you know, the the bond uh, desk probably would hate uh, us using that word in this context, but duration of equities has never been longer. And so it means the sensitivity, what is duration at the end? It's the sensitivity to an asset because of changes in in the yield backdrop. So that's what was unfolding really from U.S. Thanksgiving and it accelerated at the beginning of this year. And we've uh, certainly lots of folks were positioned for that. And it's an opportunity where you still have room to make money in equities. Uh, sure. Canada had been doing well. European stocks have been doing well um, at, at the expense of the NASDAQ and certainly the growth, uh, more growth oriented, even S&P 500. The last week, if you uh, want to take it, certainly the last five, seven trading days, have um, have picked away at that as as the sell-off has broadened out. And it's broadened out because of many of the concerns that I've talked about. But to answer your question, we still see, like, has value become growth and growth become value? No. Um, we've seen some constructive movement on valuations to, to that recalibration. We've seen certainly on the yield story, that's gone a long way. And we can talk about that. We do think that what's happened with bond yields and interestingly in this risk off uh, last few days, they have not come down very much, which is right. a different reaction than we've seen for the last, uh, you know, for the pre-pandemic period. And so growth stocks, yes, they look a little better, but they're not cheap by any stretch. And conversely, the value spectrum, uh, as much as it had a good um, start to the year and, and even on a relative basis, the sell-off is treating growth harder than it is value. So the, the tenants of that trade are still alive under the surface it has room to further ride, ride as well. One example that I use is Canadian uh, energy. And so we look at the S&P TSX energy sub-index. And so this broad array of, of energy businesses. And we compare right. that to the price of oil. And where we sit a week or so ago, uh, it would be even cheaper now, was on a price basis, that sub-index was within a couple of percent of where it was in say 2018. So yeah, if you want to look on the last six months or the last uh, 12 months or the last you know uh, six weeks, you're seeing really, really strong gains, massive percentage increases for, uh, for the energy space. But right. if you 
you know, back off a little bit and you say, okay, oil prices at $85, $90 in 2018, and these businesses were, were valued at uh, at X. And now we got oil prices that are, you know, roughly in the same ballpark and these businesses are still valued at X. That's not expensive on that basis. There's an image problem. So maybe they could be talked about where they shouldn't be, uh, you know, priced as they were back in 2018. And I'll give you that. Um, but they're not expensive uh, by many metrics. Uh, perfect. Um, during sell-offs, uh, one of the uh, upsides of, of course, is that everything is cheaper than it was a mere uh, week or two ago. Um, aside from that sort of uh, pricing mechanism, are there any other positives to the to the sell-off? I don't know about positives to the sell-off. That's the main one, right? We call it a, a dividend yield rally um, <laughs> when we have sell-offs. Right. Certainly, valuations have have checked back, and that's um, that opens up opportunities, not just in this broad-based sell-off, but certainly the unfolding rotation uh, is certainly lots of ample room for opportunities. But just to, to think about what's changed between now and a month ago or two months ago, um, the inflation story, I think, is well understood. So that's good news. Um, good. The central banks and what they intend to do, yes, they're going to tighten. And I would say two months ago, you know, expectations were not on the same page for what we may get this year. And now I would argue they are at least on the same page. And perhaps we've gone uh, to the point, and, and part of this is is the tantrum, to where uh, risk assets and equities are getting ahead of central banks. You know, pricing right. in, and even we're just seeing it in the last couple of days. The number of rate increases, if you extrapolate them from uh, market-based metrics, uh, for the Fed was a little above four. It's now a little below four for the year. So they've already started to come off a little bit. Uh, but that's up from, oh gosh, I mean, hardly any rate increases at, at September of last year. And sure. a couple, you know, in and around uh, late October, early November. So they've they've moved up um, substantially and bond yields have moved up. Um, certainly uh, the shorter end has moved more than the long end. And so those are all movements in the right direction toward where everybody thinks, and it certainly seems reasonable to posit we need to go on more normalized uh, uh, footing for monetary policy, and markets need to digest that, and, and they have done a lot of that digesting. They may have a little bit of indigestion at the moment, but certainly sure. they're in a better place. When we think about um, uh, earnings backdrop, it, we always expected that it was going to become a, a smaller story, right? And that just brings in the risk of of error or the margin of error isn't as wide. If earnings miss by 10% and they're up 30%, like we were dealing with last year, or they surprise by 10%, right? And they're up 30%. That's one piece of information. If you're expecting earnings to grow by 6 or 7 or 8% and they miss by 2 or 3, well, now you've removed half of your earnings growth. That's a whole pile right. different. But we're still talking about high single-digit earnings growth. And maybe the timing is being shifted around a little here because of, of COVID uh, potentially. We don't know that yet. Uh, and how we discount those earnings is uh, is shifting because of, of valuations. But it's still a pretty robust backdrop. We haven't talked about the consumer falling apart. We haven't talked about the labor market falling apart. We're not talking about, you know, wage growth has, has dissipated. In fact, we're talking about the opposite of all those things, which are still right. very good signs of the boom times. The problems, so-called problems we have, uh, are because uh, things are booming. 
the inventory cycle is starting to show signs of repair, but still has more to go. That's good news. Moving in the right direction, but we haven't fast forwarded to the end game because if we do, the end game is not really a pleasant place for, for equity markets. That means we need to have a bit of a production slowdown. We're nowhere near that at this stage of the game. Um, when we think about um, uh, China, so not only were we seeing signs of easing out of China uh, prior to Christmas, we've had additional mm -hmm. steps from China in January that further um, our confidence that China is going to stimulate this year. And it may be look a little different than it has in the past, but it's still stimulus, and that's a positive. Uh, for uh, for risk assets could be a, a back half story that hasn't changed. So I guess to, to sum it all up, some of the recalibration that we've needed on yields, on markets understanding of inflation and Fed and other central banks policy responses is in a better place. And some of the other key narratives, key tenets of the story, business investment, consumer spending, um, China, all are still intact such that we don't think there's any concern to be using the R word uh, yet. And we highlighted this in our outlook. Recession scares and stagflation scares are going to be part of the landscape in 2022. And um, you know they've shown up uh, sooner rather than later, obviously. Sure. Uh, well, maybe last question for you, Brent. It seems like your demeanor, uh, everything that you've said, uh, leads me to believe you, you don't have a tremendous amount of concern over the most recent market volatility, uh, that, uh, that you're overall fairly positive on 2022. What would you recommend investors look at to, to sort of uh, as a warning sign of a more severe sell-off or recessionary time, something like that? Yeah, I mean, if we start to get down minus 15 in broad-based uh, indices, that starts to raise some eyebrows. Um, but I think it's important for folks to to remember, it's not a, a, you know, a number that's going to flash uh, in your face and, and all of a sudden that's, that's the be-all and end-all signal. The NASDAQ had bear markets uh, through the post-financial crisis era that when we were talking about the longest bull market for the S&P 500. The TSX right. had a bear market through that period. Emerging markets have had a couple of bear markets to be expected from that more volatile asset class. Um, so there are little pockets here. And the fact that the NASDAQ corrected and maybe even has a bear market isn't in and of itself any sort of a signal. Um, you need to understand the complexion of the various um, benchmarks that we're looking at, what should we expect from them? And this environment, which maybe is going to be a wake-up call for a lot of people, is that the U.S. is not um, certainly theoretically positioned for the environment that we've laid out, which is this um, you know, rotation to value and cyclicals and a pretty robust economic backdrop and, uh, and and cheaper valuations. So when we, what I'm encouraged by. All markets from a technical standpoint, when we look at them, are trying hard to hold into some key levels. And when we look at Europe, Canada, areas that didn't start from such a high precipice, um, you know, they're performing better than certainly something like the NASDAQ. So all these things point to it being garden variety. And if you don't have a, a deterioration, which would take time for us to see that, uh, a deterioration in the economic fundamentals, like I said, business investment, the inventory cycle, consumer spending. If that doesn't uh, appear to be um, cracking, then we shouldn't be worried about recession. And if, if that's the case, then whether corrections are 8 or 10 or 12 or even 18 percent, 
you know, there to be taken in stride uh, and we move along. Brent, that's perfect. Thanks very much for spending the time walking us through uh, your perspective on the most recent volatility and ending with what I'll, uh, what I'll say is an optimistic uh, point. So appreciate your time. My pleasure. Optimistic indeed. But, uh, you know, diversification, clearly that's the other story has shown up here in the last number of weeks as being, uh, uh, you know, time-tested true tenant of investing. Excellent point. Thanks again. content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.